Well, thank you. It's good to be here tonight. I'm sure you had a busy day today. Lots of things uh, learned and uh, lots of serving done together. And that's great. I'm, I was glad to be asked to uh, join you today. And yes, uh, Steve and I are, are good friends. I've uh, been good friends since, I guess, 2009 is when I first kind of met him. And so it's, it's good to see him in his ministry and you together serving here. And I um, just want to share a word today. So I'm going to turn, um, if you have your Bibles, turn there to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. I know it's printed in here. I, I don't know what version this is. Let's see. It's, yes, okay, then I'll read from here. Um, we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. And, and just to set this up, uh, we're, we're here talking about servant leadership and, and everything. And, and Philippians is, is that great book, uh, Paul, this letter where Paul writes to this church that he loves very much. And he wants them to serve together. He talks about being a partner in the gospel together. Uh, he talks about um, their citizenship in heaven. And you heard this morning, or was it this morning, about uh, Timothy and uh, Epaphroditus. Um, just interesting, he's, he's trying to get them together to serve the Lord, trying to bring them together in this p- partnership of the gospel and remind them who they are. And you know, holding up these examples of Timothy, Timothy the proven son, right? Proven son working with him in the gospel ministry. And then Epaphroditus, very interesting thing about Epaphroditus, even his name, uh, his name, it's by Epaphrodite. Uh, Aphrodite actually was a god, you know, God at that time, and one of the things that she was known for was the god of luck. And so when you go to a gambling hall, the people would you know, be taking their dice or whatever it is, and they, they would say, by, a pa- a, by Aphrodite, by Aphrodite. And basically that's his name, Epaphrodite. And it's interesting, Paul uses his name and says, he risked his life, right, for you. It's not by accident. I think Paul was trying to say, even by his own name, his own character, he was risking his life to serve this church. And so you've heard examples about um, those who are Christ-centered, whose lives were so uh, centered around Christ that they, they were proven to be ministers of the gospel uh, in their work, but also they, they risked their lives as Christ risked his life on the cross for them. So they were Christ-centered people who served together, and Paul holds up these two examples of Christ-centered men, men who see Christ, who he is, and serve with the same heart because they've been infected by him. And so it's a, it's a great book to look into, especially when we're talking about uh, servant leadership. So let's uh, look at chapter two, Philippians chapter two, verse one through 11. May God bless even the reading of his word, which is holy and true. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even 
death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, sorry about that. I was trying to make sure my my. Uh, <laughs> this is the SE, so it's a newer one. But I just want to make sure I'm on time here. Okay, I got it. Okay, good. Um, well, uh, okay. Let's try to reset. <sighs> All right. I have a clock on my phone, so I'm trying to keep track of time. Um, September 11th just passed, huh? Uh, it was a, a thing that we all kind of remember where we were at the time when we saw it. I remember that morning I was getting ready to go to, to the office. I, I was actually in between churches, uh, ready to plant this Jubilee Presbyterian Church, but just finished my work at CPC, Cerritos Presbyterian Church, as the EM pastor there. So I was in between, and in, in between I was uh, working at Westminster Seminary down in Escondido as the alumni coordinator. And I remember getting ready for, for going down to uh, Escondido that morning and I carpooled with a guy named Andy Park. Uh, he was a student there. And so I was getting ready and we were just, you know, me and my wife were talking, getting ready. And then Andy comes to the door at six, in the, six something in the morning, knocks on the door. He goes, did you hear, did you hear? And I said, what, what, what's going on? And then he said, turn on the TV. So we turned on the TV, we saw the whole thing. Um, a terrible thing. Watching the whole thing was just unbelievable, wasn't it? Pretty crazy, incredible. Um, before that happened, I, I mean, I, I go to New York um, often now because my daughter is living there with her husband. He's a dental student at NYU. And um, I get the chance to meet some people who've been living in New York for, for 15 years and, and longer. And they all say the same thing. They all say the same thing. They say, before 9-11 happened, everybody was just, you know, bumping in, into each other, crabby, you know, the typical New York attitude. Everybody's busy doing their thing and they don't have time for people to bother them. They're going to their job or they're going to this place. They don't need anybody to bother them. Everybody, you know, just focused on going where they want to go. But after 9-11, these people would tell me, living in the city was different. Because after 9-11, people realized we were all in the same, but we all suffered together. We all went through this trauma together, and, and that event, we think how t t you know, t terrible and uh, horrific it was, and yet through that event, New Yorkers now help each other. You see them take time. If somebody's you know, needy on the street, you know, falling down, somebody will stop and actually help them up. Uh, they'll, they'll wait and open doors for people and, and things like that, because the, a new sense of unity kind of pervaded the city. They realize we, we went through something together. We're flawed human beings together. We need each other. And so the city transformed, really, uh, a little bit at least, in their attitudes that you think would never have ch changed, but it changed because of that event. Well, um, Philippians here is um, Paul bringing up an event. He wants these people to be unified and have the same mind. He said this a couple times in our passage today, having the same mind. One in mind, one in accord. 
And he, he brings it home by referencing a, a great tragedy, a great injustice that happened, and yet through that injustice, an amazing thing happened. God's people were redeemed. And so Paul calls these people together to remind them that we're all together, one in Christ, and we're called to be good to each other. We're called to serve one another in Christ, united by that love that Christ had, united in our service towards one another, having the same mind. And so that's what I wanna talk about tonight, the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ. I don't wanna talk about the mind of a servant or mind of anything else. Paul puts right in the center the mind of Christ. It's in the center of the book, literally, in the center. Chapter two, right there. And that's the mind that we need to have always in whatever we do. But especially since we're here talking about servant leadership, you, you serve. You're called to help out here at the um, Crossway. You each have your own individual uh, jobs to do, tasks that, that keep you busy. And sometimes when we do that, we, we lose focus. We, we get so honed, honed in on what we're doing. We get so zoomed in and we get this kind of uh, myopic, kind of zoomed, uh, telescopic vision that we, we don't see things around us. And pretty soon we get so zoomed in, we, we lose the reason why we're doing it. You know, when, when you put your thumb really close to your eye and you try to look at something, it, your, their thumb looks so big, but then you focus so much attention on your hand, you, you, you lose everything else behind it. In the same way, when we serve and we zoom in on our, on our work, we, we lose focus. We, we don't realize what we're doing it and why we're doing it. We forget that. And then that's what we talk about burnout, we talk about bitterness, we talk about um, feeling like un, unappreciated or uh, questioning why am I doing these things. And, and I think Paul was trying to tap into that too with these Philippians because they had, they had, had different teachers who were teaching different things and they were becoming confused. These Philippians were, were serving and they were joyful but they were split in, in what their joy was. And, and Paul said let's come together and, and Make central what should be central, Christ. And so let's talk about the mind of Christ today. And I broke it up into three just basic thoughts here that come from this passage. Um, he talks about uh, the interests of others. He talks about, secondly, um, Jesus' obedience to the point of death. And then finally, that he took on the form of a servant. So those are the kind of themes I want to talk about today. First, uh, first of all, the interest of others. Um, Jesus, this um, servant of God who had a mind focused singularly. He wanted to serve. He was a servant. And so Paul points that out. Uh, Jesus was somebody who had other people's interests interest in his mind. And for, for Jesus, the person that he wanted to serve the most, that had centered his mind upon was, was his heavenly father. He wanted to do God's will. Jesus was a true servant of God who focused on doing his father's work. And so throughout the gospels we hear so many times um, in his prayer at the end, he said, not my will be done, but yours, right? I want your will to be done. And when he talks to his disciples, he said, um, my food is to do the will of my father in heaven, right? Again and again and again, we hear Jesus is the one who comes to serve his heavenly father. He wants God's will to be done. And, and we see at the end of this passage, verse 11, um, 
verse 9, 10, 11, uh, that Jesus' main point is that God would be highly exalted and that he would receive all glory, right? That's what Jesus desired. His interest was not for himself. His interest was for his heavenly Father's glory, focused right there. That was his main uh, attention. And so because he wanted to be a perfect servant for his heavenly Father, he was able to humble himself for God. He was able to say, I I submit myself to my Father's will. I want to do whatever he planned. Now, I don't want us to get confused about the Trinity here. Jesus is God too. He's the second person of the Trinity. So even there, we see a little subordination. He is equally God, of course, equally holy and honorable. He is equally divine. No doubt about that. But the Son, the second person of the Trinity, submitted himself to the will of his heavenly Father as a picture for us so that we can understand what it means to be a servant. He humbled himself so that he could do God's will. But not only God's will, he did it so that he could help us, his people, his his bride, the Bible says. We are his bride, he is the bridegroom. And, And because he loves us so much, you so much, he humbled himself come to this earth, taking on human form, human flesh, so that we could be served. So in Jesus' mind, he had the interest of others and not his own. Paul makes it even more clear. He, he kind of fleshes that out in verse two. He says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Let's unpack that a little bit there. He says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Rivalry, that word rivalry uh, means like um, doing something for money. Selfish ambition is another way to interpret that. Selfish ambition. Uh, Other commentators say it's like mercenary spirit. You know what a mercenary is? You You know what a mercenary is? Oh, good. I don't have to explain it. A mercenary is a soldier who is hired, right? He's not a soldier of this government. He's a soldier just out there saying, if you want to hire me, I will work for you. So the, in, in history, there have been the, the German Hessians who came and, and were bought by you know, a certain country to fight for them against the US or whatever. Uh, there are mercenaries out there that y- you can buy them, pay them money, and they will fight your war for you. They don't belong to your country, but if you give them enough money, they will fight for you. That's the word here. Do nothing out of this rivalry or this selfish ambition. Paul mentioned some of the preachers that were in this Philippian church who were preaching the gospel from rivalry, selfish ambition. These preachers in this church of Philippi were were saying, I need a job. And they would go in this church and start teaching these things and say, no, I'm a little different from that guy over there. And he'd tell some great stories, he'd do these things and people would get enamored by him. And then they would pay him as their tutor to learn more about God's will. And then another guy would come in saying, I need a job too, and he would start teaching something different. And so the, these two men or two, two teachers in the, in the church were fighting each other, competing with each other, rivals together saying, I need more disciples, I need more students because I need more money. They were doing it for money. But Paul, Paul he says here, when you serve each other, don't do it out of selfish ambition to, to get something for yourself. When you serve, it shouldn't be out of that. 
It's important to understand that. And when you ask, why do people do that? Are there people that, that serve at church who do it out of rivalry to get something? Of course, it happens. Maybe not for money. I don't know how many of you are getting paid for your work. Maybe some of you are as assistant pastors or whatever. That's fine. But you're not, you're not saying, you know, Pastor Steve, you know, I'll, I'll put away the equipment, but, you know, my time is worth $40 an hour at my job. So, you know, can you throw me 20 bucks here and there? You're not going to be doing that, of course. But other ways, other ways, subtle ways, we do things to sort of get something. We serve to get something out of the church or out of other people. We have this mercenary spirit where I'll serve as long as I get patted on the back enough. I'll serve if I get enough accolades from people. I'll serve when I feel like people appreciate me. I'll serve as long as I feel good about it or people acknowledge me or you know, people tell me what a good job I am, uh, I'm doing. But once people don't recognize me, once I'm not getting paid with praise or uh, getting bumped up from sound man to you know, lead person on the praise team or whatever, if I'm not getting bumped up you know, in the right uh, proportion, then I'm gonna you know, say I'm gonna take a break. Uh, I'm, I'm burned out, I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna do something else. We know that we're doing it out of selfish ambition when we feel we're not getting paid enough, either in praise or whatever it could be. Paul's saying a servant doesn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. He wasn't thinking about what he could get out of us or what he could get out of his heavenly father. He did it out of his love for his heavenly father and love for his people. Jesus was the one who thought of others before himself. And he wasn't out to get something because he had everything he needed, right? Did Jesus need anything? No. He's God. He's the son of God. He had no needs. And yet, he took off everything. He became needy. Why? So that he can fill your needs. Jesus, who was rich, became poor so that you could be rich. You who were poor. He took off all his righteous robes and gave them to you so that you could be filled. You could have everything you need. Once you have salvation in Christ Jesus, you have more than you need because you're going to heaven. You have a heavenly home. You have heavenly blessings. You're accepted by your heavenly Father. You have no more needs. You lack nothing because you're in Christ who supplied all your needs for you. Because of Jesus, you have a person who loves you, who pays attention to you, who did everything for you and loves you. Why do we need more? That's the motive behind why Paul can say, don't do anything out of rivalry, trying to get something because you need something. Don't you know you're in Christ? You have everything. You're full. You're rich right now. Or, or maybe you don't realize that. Maybe you're not really a Christian. Maybe you've been acting like a Christian and serving at church. Maybe that's why you're so empty, so needy. And by serving, you're getting attention. Well, it's not going to fill your needs. That attention that people give you is not going to make you happy. It'll always leave you short. But Paul is saying, come to Christ and realize in you're in Christ, you're rich. And if you're rich, you won't serve out of need for yourself. That's the second word he uses there is also out of conceit. 
Don't do anything out of conceit. What is conceit? The word there is a combination of two words. Uh, kenosis, which means empty, and doxa. Do you know what, does doxa sound familiar? Doxology means glory, empty glory. He said, don't do anything out of selfish rivalry, but also don't do anything out of vain glory, trying to get accolades for yourself. Very similar things there. It's all about yourself. Using people for yourself. Using the ministry for yourself. Because you're insecure. You need to be the center of attention. You need to be able to boast to people about who you are and how good you serve by doing these things. Paul is saying, Jesus never did that. It wasn't about Jesus glorifying himself. For Jesus, it was about glorifying his heavenly father. And because of his work on the cross, you become glorified, right? When you die, you rise again from the, the grave and you, your body is glorified and you go to heaven as a glorified saint. You see, Jesus' mind is on you, not himself. This is the servant heart that Jesus brings to us. He is the person who thinks about the interests of others. And so he says, Paul wants to reflect that and make you focus on that. Finally, he says, don't look after only your own interests, but also the interests of others. The verb therefore, look after. Let each of you, verse four, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The looking is a word that means to fix your attention on something closely, right? So when you're threading a needle, you're, you're I don't know if you do that anymore. Do you do that anymore? Probably not. If you're threading a needle, you're paying close attention and you're trying to get that needle straight through. Your, your, your mind is focused on it. So that's that, what that word means. It means put your mind and focus on the interests of others. Interesting that word is, the verb is written in a tense that's ongoing action. So he's saying not just one time, not just two times, but keep looking after the interests of others, not just yourself. Keep doing it. Ongoingly do it. Not just for, for the time that you're at church, not just you know, for, for an hour or so. Ongoingly think about the interests of others. This is what Jesus has done. He's fixed his attention on doing God's will, focused on it, and even today, Jesus is serving his heavenly father, isn't he? He's serving his heavenly father by ministering to you, by sending his spirit to comfort you, by preaching his word to you through his instruments. Jesus is still thinking about you. He still fixes his attention on you and serving you even now. The interests of others is what is primary in Jesus' mind, and that's, that's what we're called to when we believe in Jesus Christ. If you realize that Jesus has his attention on you, do you need to pay attention to yourself? No. There is someone who's paying attention to you already. You don't have to worry about yourself. There is somebody who's blessing you, watching over you, strengthening you, who loves you, and you are the center of his attention. Why do you need more? You don't. You should find your security in the fact that Jesus Christ is your, your savior. Well, the second point we see here that Paul points out about Jesus is that Jesus obeyed to the point of death. That first point is all about attitude, how you see others. But the second point is commitment. 
commitment. Jesus was a servant who obeyed to the point of death, even death on the cross. He didn't give up in the middle. He wasn't flaky. He didn't at the last minute call and say, oh, I'm sorry, I had to go somewhere else. I couldn't do that. Jesus went to the cross. He did his father's will even when it cost him his life. He didn't stop, but he went all the way to the end even though it was difficult. That's commitment. Aren't you glad that Jesus was committed to serve his heavenly father so that you could live forever? Jesus did that for you. He served his heavenly father. He serves you. And he's, he's committed to it. He doesn't give up in the middle. He's always a servant. Now, you might be saying in your mind, wait a minute, Pastor James, are now you saying that as a servant, I need to serve until I die to the point of death? Well, I know Pastor Steve probably would not say it to your face. Serve until you die, Jimmy. Make sure this happens or die doing it. I'm sure he's not gonna say that to you, but he's thinking it. I know I'm thinking it. I know Pastor Sam's thinking it. All pastors are thinking that thought in their mind. They want their people to be able to be willing to serve to the point of death, willing to serve committed until the point of death. Now, how can you do that? Well, don't we honor um, soldiers who give up their lives for others? We, we honor them because they're serving, but when they die, we, we, we really are thankful to their family and, and to them. We re- remember them. They gave up their life for my freedom. And so, you know, whenever there's a soldier, you just want to say thank you, you know? Or a fireman. We think about 9-11. Think about those firemen who were running into the building and everybody was running out. Their job was to help. And they were committed to the point of death. And, and we look at that and we say, wow, that is a great fireman. That was a great soldier. He died doing his job. What about you? I'm sure you're not going to die, you know, teaching a children's class. You're not going to die, you know, leading praise. You're not going to die setting up chairs. You're not going to die doing that normally. But I think the idea is that the, the idea is commitment. And if it came down to it, How long would you go? Well, Jesus was committed to the end. And if we understand Jesus committed himself to the end, he was not flaky, he didn't give up in the middle. We realize that our life is secure. Because he was committed, I receive eternal life. I don't have to earn it for myself. I don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't worry that I'm gonna lose out on anything. And, and that's really the reason why a lot of people flake out or are, committed, are not committed, right? Think about yourself or maybe somebody you work with that's really flaky. Why do they flake? Why do they give up in the middle, why? Does anybody know? You can raise your hand. This is a, I'll make it a Q&A time. Why do people give up in the middle or why are they flaky? What's the reason? Anyone? No one knows? They're impatient. Impatient with the progress of something or things are not going well so they just give up. Okay. But why are they flaky? Why do they call you at the last minute and say, oh, I can't make it because... Why are they flaky? It's 
it's not worth it, there's something more worth it, something my, my father-in-law would say more better. More better, right? There's something more better. The reason why they flake is because, oh, my friend invited me to a Dodgers game. I gotta make an excuse, because I found something more better than going to church and setting up, you know, doing things. I found something more better. The reason why we get flaky is because we feel like, oh, I I'm gonna miss out on something if I don't give this up and do this. If I don't take this opportunity, it's not gonna come again, I'm gonna miss out. That's why I'm not committed, because I want my options open. Sure, I'll commit myself for an hour, but for a week, for a year, whoa, you know, that's too much commitment. What happens if something good comes along, something more better comes along? What happens then? I wanna keep my options open. I don't commit myself because I'm afraid I'm gonna miss out on something, but you see, Jesus Christ was focused. The thing he thought was more better all the time was doing his heavenly Father's will, and he did it for you. He did it for you. I'll get to that in my last point, but he did that for you. He was committed for you so that you will never miss out on anything good. Jesus was committed so that you could have eternal life, and if you have eternal life, you're never gonna miss out on anything good because God's gonna give you the best. He's gonna give you what you really need. He's gonna give you the best experiences to strengthen your faith. He's gonna give you heavenly blessings. You're not gonna miss a thing because God is working in your life. Do you think God is gonna say, oh, I forgot to give Pastor James that thing. Oh man, maybe next time. No. God works everything out for our good. So why, do we, why are we afraid to commit? Why are we afraid we're gonna miss out on something? God's will is good and perfect. He knows what's really good for you and he knows you're gonna love this. He knows that it's gonna be so good for you. You're gonna grow from this. You're gonna be so happy about this. You're gonna taste heavenly glories through this. He knows. Why would he skip that? Why would he make you miss that? He won't. Now, now Pastor James, are you saying that setting up at church is, is more better than a Dodger game? Yeah, there's, a, there's debate about that, huh? There's debate about that. But when you put it in this perspective that everything that I do, all my life is to glorify God. My purpose in life is to glorify God. All right, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first question is, what is man's chief end or main purpose in life? It's two things, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Those two things, the Bible teaches that. That's your purpose in life now as a Christian. Actually, that's everybody's purpose in life, even non-Christians. Yeah, their purpose is to glorify God, but they do it in a different way than you and I do. We do it willingly, we give praise to God, we glorify him by serving him and honoring him. Non-believers, they glorify God by showing what wrath comes upon unbelievers. By their unbelief, they show the contrast to God's love. By their rejection of the truth, they glorify God's truth. And by their coming to Christ later, they glorify God by their salvation. You see, everybody's purpose in life, God ordered it so that everyone's purpose in life is to glorify him. And especially you as Christians, you can do it willingly. 
You're not like the stars in the sky that have to reflect God's glory. They do. But they don't do it willingly. That's just by nature. But you can willingly want to glorify God. And so Jesus here is a person who obeyed to the point of death for you. And that's why Paul, when, he, when he's talking to these people, he can say to them, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He just said that in chapter one here in Philippians. Why can he say that? How can he say that? For me to live is Christ. All my life is to glorify Christ. If I'm gonna live here, I'm gonna serve him. I'm gonna live for him, I'm gonna praise him, I'm gonna depend on him, I'm gonna teach people about him. If I'm gonna live, it's to Christ. If I'm gonna die, that's gain. Because I go to see him. I go to be with him, so there's there's a win-win situation. There's no losing for Christians. Now, we will not miss a thing because Jesus has guaranteed it by his death and resurrection. He obeyed to the point of death as a servant for you. And now we are called to serve him. And if we die serving him on the mission field, teaching English, and someone says, you Christians are the problem, and they kill you for that, you've done your job. I would call it an honor if I died for the faith. To the point of my last breath, if I could say, believe in Jesus, or praise Jesus, and I, I died for that fact, I would, I would say that was not a wasted life. If my son or my daughter, my wife or any of my family died as a martyr or serving the Lord Jesus Christ, I wouldn't be ashamed. I wouldn't be ashamed at all. I would be so proud. So, so proud, wouldn't you? Don't you see? Because Jesus obeyed to the point of death, even death on the cross, You don't have to be crucified for your sins. You get to live and enjoy God forever. Well, finally, we find Paul kind of bringing it all home, talking about Jesus as a servant, taking on the form of a servant. Taking on the form of a servant. He didn't stay away, thinking about his father's interest and your interests before his own. He came and he obeyed God's laws in your place. And he did it by coming. He did it by coming and being incarnate. He came, took off his heavenly robe and put on the robes of a servant. He came to you and wrapped around himself a towel to wash your feet. This is the servant, Jesus Christ, who takes the form of a servant for you. That's what he did in our place. He came to do these things for us because we couldn't do it ourselves. Jesus united himself with us so that he could take our place and do the things we could not do. One of the the shows that I used to watch a lot, now, now I don't see it very often, but. Uh, on TV, but it's uh, Undercover Boss. Have you seen that show before? And it's really neat because, you know, the boss, you know, CEO, drives around in a limousine, whatever. He, he takes off his suit, puts on a beard or whatever, or, you know, she, she puts on a wig or something like that, goes and works at the, you know, the dump where the 
waste management company, you know, one of their stations, or they, they go to one of the burger places and, and they get on the line, you know. I love that. I love that because they get, get to see firsthand what their people are doing, what it's like serving, what conditions are like, how the company is treating them. They get to participate in it and be a part of it and see firsthand and experience themselves so that they know more clearly. And at the end of the show, it's always, you know, they come back and they're always crying, right? The CEO always crying, and you know what? I'm going to give you a scholarship for all five of your kids. You know, I'm going to send you to another training so you can get a promotion and so you can get to this house and you can, you know, they realize that they're so connected with them. They get transformed, right? So so what we have here, Paul is, is highlighting is almost the exact opposite. What happens is Jesus comes and he takes on the form of a servant. He comes to identify himself with us. To take our place on the line, to suffer the things that we suffer, but also to obey the things that we didn't obey. See, we can't do it ourselves. No matter how much your pastor says, you can do it, you can do it, no matter how much you listen to Anthony Robbins, is it? Big guy, big face guy, motivational speaker, lives down by the river, that guy. No matter how many motivational speeches you you hear, you know, it's not enough. It's never gonna be enough. You'll never be able to pay off a single one of your sins. But Jesus came to do that for you. Every single sin he paid for and every single commandment of God he obeyed. And that's who you are now. You are united to Christ. Paul says that here. Have this mind, verse five, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. It is yours. You are now by faith united to Jesus so that now you are connected to him. He came and identified himself with you so that now you could be connected with him. And everything that he goes through, he went through, you go through. Every blessing that he gets, you get. When God sees you, he sees you through the eyes of, through the, the, the screen of his son. And so when he sees you, he sees you as faithful sons and daughters, not sinners. You're saints because of Jesus. He is this servant who comes, takes off his robes, and puts on the rags. Because of him, we have eternal life. And so what does this mean for all of us now as servants? As we wrap up tonight, you've heard some great things. You've learned how to interpret the Bible, I see. You've you've learned what it means to face burnout. Uh, you've, You've seen examples of servants in Timothy and Epaphroditus. And now you end this evening looking to Christ where you should. You always should look to Christ. When you look to him, that's when you're seeing the true servant. Some of you might be saying, you know, I don't know if I'm doing a good job. Don't look at yourself. Keep your eyes focused on serving Jesus. Do your best. Do your best. That's all he wants. He's not asking you to do things perfectly because then you'll get OCD, you'll, you'll get all panicky because that, that's all about you, trying to get things perfect, right? But if you're trying to serve Christ, you want to do your best, your very best. It might come out perfect, it might not. But that's okay. Because you know Jesus isn't going to say, wow, those chairs are not really straight. 
Hormo, that, that level was a little too high on the base. You should mm, dock you on a point there. No, he doesn't do that. As he looks at you, he looks at the one he loves, his beloved bride, forever and ever. And because of that, when we serve, we don't serve with anxiety. We don't serve with pressure or stress. We thir- serve out of thankfulness and joy because we serve a heavenly father. We serve a savior who took our place and makes us acceptable. And he does that by becoming unacceptable himself. He becomes sin on the cross for us so that we can become God's holy people. I wanna encourage you as you serve to keep your minds focused on the mind of Christ. Remember that he is your savior and he is connected to you by faith. He is there to strengthen you. He's the one who's given you everything you need. You're rich in Christ. Never think you're poor. You don't need attention. You can deflect all that attention back to Christ because you have everything you need in Christ. He loves you, and if he loves you, that's all you need. The whole world can turn its face away from you, but you can say, that's okay, as long as Jesus loves me. I'm fine. I'm good. So servants, serve with commitment. Serve with humility. Serve thinking about the interests of others because that's the savior who looked at you and serves you even today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the true servant who came for us. He serves us even now. He serves us even after dying for us. Thank you for his commitment to us. Thank you for his humility. Thank you, Jesus, for your concern for us. So much so that you gave up everything that we might live. Thank you for becoming unacceptable so that we can be acceptable. Lord, you have made us rich and we're thankful. So Lord, would you help us to give our whole lives to you in service and realize we're not gonna lose a thing. Help us to serve with thankfulness in our hearts that we are saved and loved people, rich and full. And may we think about others before ourselves because we don't need anything more. Our hearts overflow because of Jesus, the servant of all. Thank you, O Lord, we pray and ask all these things in his name, amen.